Hello, and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 33. This week I'm thrilled to welcome back friend of the pod, Greg Huss of Northside Bound and host of the Cubs on Deck podcast. Greg is always a great listen, and this was no exception. As always, he brings big energy and a lot of knowledge about the young players in the Cubs system. We talk primarily about power, power arms and power bats, that the Cubs have in the system and how that power plays into roster construction for a team generally seen as light on power at the major league level. When might we see Matt Mervis or Christopher Morrell come up to Chicago? Can we get some more swing and miss by using some of the bullpen arms at Iowa? We'll find out. Late in the episode, Greg introduces his new offensive metric, Bash, and tells us how it can be used to compare Cubs prospects across the different levels of the system. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Hey, this week with the Cubs on a roll, I'm thrilled to be joined by Greg Huss of Northside Bound and the Cubs Den podcast. Welcome back, Greg. You're the first multi-time visitor on this podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's a that's a big honor. I'm I'm appreciative of, of being on the show and what you put together here is honestly terrific. I, I love the show. Thank you so much. Before we really dive into what I want to talk about, did you get to see Cade Horton start last night? Yeah, so actually last night, so I, 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 a lot of times what I've been doing so far this year is I've been going, uh, I haven't been able to watch it live because as you know, I've been in the process of moving. So I haven't, I, in the evenings, I've been like moving all my stuff from my current place to my new place. Um, and I've been going back at late at night and watching starts by different starting pitchers, uh, yeah. basically laying in bed. And I just used the, the, the 10 second ahead uh, feature mm-hmm. on the on the MILB TV feed, so I can watch every pitch like site like like all in a row. It's been great. Uh, but last night was an example of that where I was actually not moving, but I was w- with some friends last night, and I was at the bar. And because uh, the Pelicans were on marquee, I was, they had marquee going to the bar. And I was able to watch, kind of kind of watch uh, Kate Horton start in that way, uh, and then I went back and watched it uh, later in the evening. And yeah, it was an impressive start for sure. Yeah, I was saying my my twelve year old had a baseball game last night, so I got home and turned the game on. But by that point, he was already out. So, but he's he's going to be fun to watch. Hope we can keep yeah, that on. Yeah, I think that he had, has had really. Uh, it's a tough. It's been, been a tough situation for him since he's been drafted, right? Where I, I think that the initial reaction from Cubs fans were, oh, like this is not the pick that we want because there are other players, not because they were against Cade Horton, but just because they were other players on the board in the draft that, that, that fans wanted to see on the Cubs. Um, and so he kind of was like behind the eight ball right right out the gate with Cubs fans. Um, and then we didn't see him last year because he was coming off the college season, coming off Tommy mm-hmm. John, all that good stuff. So like 
this, it was a pretty, like, honestly, last night's start uh, at home for the Pelicans was, like, a big, big start. These first two have been great for them. Uh, but it's been important as far as, like, from a fan's perspective, too, I think. Yeah. No, it's been great. And he was somebody who there were a lot of guys projected, and I think because of the injury and because he really had struggled through most of the season until he hit the postseason, really just wasn't on Cubs fans' radar. Like, you watch because most, most people don't dig into it the way you guys do. Yeah, they're looking at the projections and who's expected to go in the top 30, top 40. Well, and and it's really easy he was to look not at a guy ERA. I heard a lot about. Right? What's like that? Lo- looking at ERA is really easy. And his college ERA last year was like, what, four and a half or something like that? Yeah, so, like, exactly. people look at that and are like, we just drafted a guy seventh overall that has a four and a half ERA. It's like, I mean, technically, yes. Like, <laughs> he does. <Yes>. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he doesn't really, you know? Right. So, well, that's cool. I, yeah. It, I love having all the access to minor league TV now. I mean, being able to go back and I don't watch a lot of games. I'm hoping to get down to Myrtle Beach at some point. Charlotte's only three and a half hours away. But uh, just to have access to it, to be able to tune in. And and I saw, you know, one of the guys we'll talk about later is Morale. I saw he already hit a homer today in the game against Iowa, his fifth. Yeah, He's just killing it. (laughs) So last time we talked, I brought you on. It was postseason. It was before the Rule 5. I think it was a week or two before the Rule 5. And we just talked through the system, kind of guys you liked, development. I want to take that a step further now. So when the Cubs came out of spring training, they had a lot of tough roster decisions to make. And there's a lot of, frankly, there's some fan angst and some legitimate, probably some not so much, um, about how the roster was constructed. And I think there are a lot of decisions made where you've got guys who – you invited to camp, non-roster invitees that maybe made a big impression. Um, some signees like Eric Hosmer, who is a veteran. He's shown he can do it, but he's not very expensive. And frankly, he's not performing very well right now. Um, and I want to talk through how you use the system then to put a major league team on the field. Like the prospects are great. I love hearing about PCA and the Jaguar. Um, but, you know, Kevin Alcantara is 20 and he's playing A-ball. You know, he's not really probably realistic for the Cubs maybe late next year if he really explodes. But he's not helping this year's team make the playoffs. Um, so I guess when I look at the minor leagues, I see three primary roles of the minor leagues, and then I'll get your thoughts on it too. You want to feed the big league club with depth, and we see that today. With Jameson Tyone's going to miss his start, and Javier Assad's coming up. Um, you want to be able to develop starter-level talent. And the Cubs now finally do have guys both on pitching side and hitting side that have come up through the system. Justin Steele looks incredible. Um, obviously got guys like Ian Happ. And then be trade bait. And I know you and you and Brian yesterday talked a little bit about what the Happ extension means. And it may mean that some of these outfielders are trade bait. I mean, is that kind of how you see it as well? Yeah, actually, you just summed up like the entire like the entire basis of our podcast in three bullet points. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's you kind of nailed that. Where just because you're following prospects come up through the Cubs system does not necessarily mean that their ultimate goal is to be a stud for the Chicago Cubs in however many years. Um, I think that it was, I think Max Bain said it on uh, his old podcast on the Bain campaign with uh, Mm -hmm. my my new co-host, Brian Smith. Um, He said it with him that like, it almost feels like for players as if like, like, yeah, you take pride in being a part of the Cubs organization or being a part of whatever organization you're a part of, but it's just one 
like seasons long tryout for the big leagues, no matter the team, right? So like you're trying out uh, to make the, the the big league team with the Cubs, or if not that, then be selected in the Rule Five draft, and if not that, be traded away to a different team, and if not that, like it's you're you you want to make the big leagues for a team. It doesn't necessarily need to be the Cubs, and that's kind of the way the minor league system is set up. Um, and I, I think that that you see guys through the system every single like we, we watch guys that perform and they're out there having great games and they're having two home run games or they're having they're having uh, three shutout innings on the mound things like that and like they may just be like depth in the major league level or they may not make the major leagues and like these guys are all so talented dude like they're they're so talented it's unbelievable and so like I, I guess my, my point is, is that like any of these guys have the talent to make the big leagues. It's just a matter of consistency and kind of making the peak of their performance be as consistent and as like they do that over the course of, a, of an entire season as much as possible, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that leads into the next point. You and Brian talked about this week. When you put that roster together, when the Cubs come out of spring training, they put together a roster that I think, frankly, had a pretty high floor. Um but probably not, certainly not the max ceiling they could have. Like, if you look at the roster, Christopher Morrell probably is a better baseball player right now than Edwin Rios. But which one makes the most sense to be on the roster opening day to help the Cubs win baseball games, mm-hmm. not have the most talent on the roster? I mean, is that that's something those minor leaguers have to deal with all the time. Yeah, mentally, I can't even imagine um, for those players, right? Like, if you're Christopher Morrell knowing that you're talented enough to be on the big league team, but you're not there. Like I, I Matt Mervis is the same, same circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Like it's where it's like, you know, you're, if you're Matt, Matt Mervis, you know, you are better than, than present day Eric Cosmer. <laughs> For sure. And yes. it, that's just gotta be so, so frustrating. And like the fact that you stay mentally locked in and focused on the task at hand on a daily basis, Matt Mervis, Christopher Morrell, both hitting home runs today. For Iowa, like that, Mervis that's got one amazing too. in itself. Matt, yeah, Matt hit one too. That was, uh, he was over two and I looked. Into the parking lot in Buffalo. Uh, go back nice. after after we, we stop recording and, and watch the uh, the call by vi- the visiting broadcast. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's uh, it, that that kind of aspect of of prospectum. Oh, and I guess in, in in Morel's case, like not even a prospect, right? Like he's not technically him and Velasquez not technically prospects, but like we still look at those guys as like developing players. Yeah, and Velasquez is a good example too. Like he came up. Um, well, one clear choice the Cubs made is they knew Seiya Suzuki was on the injured list to start the season. I don't think they, I think they had a pretty good idea. He'd maybe only miss a couple weeks, but when they made that decision, they opened the season with two outfielders on the roster. And that's a bold play when, and fans see that and they get frustrated. And on the one hand, you see Nelson Velasquez just crushing baseballs in AAA. You see Morrell crushing baseballs in AAA and he played outfield last year too. And then they also take a guy who I'm actually higher on, I think, than most people are, but Miles Mastroboni, I think, can, can actually be a good productive player. And they basically made him a platoon right fielder, which is like the worst thing to do to him. And yeah. he just had to wear it. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about this uh, quite a bit on, on Cubs on Deck, and I, but if, if you'll allow me to go off on a little rant here, sure. I, I, I just think that the way that... 
I've been really, really impressed by the way the front office and the coaching staffs have handled the development of certain players, especially on the pitching side of things, right? Mm -hmm. I think that, like, the way that they've handled Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson, um, Adbert Alzali, guys like that in recent years is really, really impressive, and I'm, I'm really happy with the way they've handled some of that. With that being said, the way they've handled Nelson Velasquez in the last, basically, like, calendar year now at this point has been so hurtful to his development i'd imagine like it, it, yeah. it impacts him in such a negative way I, I, be, and I, I don't know like maybe like they know their like the the personalities and the players better than i do right like they they are in rooms with them every single day and so i can't talk too like heavily negatively about about this but my thinking is that like we saw nelson velasquez in i think it was it would have been late may of last year early june yeah it was um, late may early yeah right get there. called up to the big leagues and was essentially used as a ben- like a fourth outfielder, a bench bat. He was he would start a couple times a week. He would come off the bench a few times a week. He would stay on the bench the entire game multiple times a week. Like it was just he was not getting full seasons worth of at bats. Um, which my thinking is, if you think that that's his ceiling, right, is as a fourth outfielder, then utilize him in that in that way right off the bat. That, that's totally fine. Yes. And so, like, in a vacuum, using him that way is fine if you continue to do that in future seasons. But this year, we turn around, there's a very clear open spot for everyday at-bats in Chicago with Seiya out, right? He could have mm-hmm. been slotted into right field every single day. And, and, and whether he's performing well or performing poorly, he still gets to try out there every single day to right field and work through some, through some things and some development at the major league level. Instead, they sent him down to AAA to get those, like, full season's worth of at-bats, like the, the everyday plate appearances. And you don't have an outfielder, a right fielder, like you, like right. you just said. And it's like, it, that's so backwards. Like, last year they should have done, they should have kept him down at AAA for, for, full, uh, for like, all everyday at-bats. And this year they should have called him up to the big leagues for it. It's just they, they've handled it the opposite of the way that I would have handled it. I just don't, I don't really get that. And I think that development developmentally like it just doesn't make sense to me well it's weird in context too right because i like that you know the cubs have been searching for that ben zobris since ben retired and maybe master boney can be that guy he can play a little outfield he can play all over the infield but there's a big difference between hey there's a real oddball matchup this week we want to get as many lefties in the lineup as we can so we're going to go ahead and eat the defense and we're going to put master boney in right field Mm-hmm. versus, hey, you're going to play there for the better part of two weeks until Saya comes back. because And like last year, it wouldn't have mattered so much. Last year, the Cubs were out of it early. So to your point, they if they have Nelson Velasquez in AAA, find somebody like maybe a Darius Hill or somebody in AAA who you see is potentially being a future fourth outfielder. Yeah. Let them come up and get some time and let Nelson develop. But now it's a long season and it's hard to put too much stock in any one particular game. But like there was one specific game that probably the Cubs lost because master Boney couldn't come in and make a catch that it's not so much his fault. A natural right fielder probably has those instincts to come in and get it. But this is a season now where that game might matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I will say too, that I, I think that David Ross actually does a pretty damn good job of like playing matchups appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, both platoon lefty righty, but also um, Patrick Wisdom hitting against uh, guys with with uh, fastball or like like playing the the pitching matchup as well, like more than just like left versus right. I think David Ross does a really good job of that, and so 
because he does a really good job of that, I feel like they could have taken advantage of Nelson Velasquez being up in Chicago this year and not not necessarily having to play him every single day, but playing him most days mm-hmm. in right field, right? Like, if, if the matchup doesn't feel right, then you play Miles Mastroponi in right field uh, instead of Nelson oh, Velasquez. Or Mancini or whoever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I actually really trust David Ross from that perspective of things. Yeah, and I think when you look at the club, and, and I want to get back to the talking about the roster decisions, I think they've made some very clear decisions. I think it was very clear. I had an episode of my own podcast in mid-December before they got Swanson, and it seemed like all the free agents were coming off the board. And it was like, come on, Jed, what's the plan? Well, it's pretty clear now what the plan is. I mean, it's pitching and it's defense, and they're trying to cut the K-rate. And in that context, they've done a fantastic job. I mean, they are... But I think I saw they're leading the National League in runs per game. Um, they're certainly scoring more than they have in the past. Their strikeout rates are down. Um, even even guys like Hosmer who are struggling, high contact guy. And I think part of the trade-off is we hear this team talk about, we, we hear people talk about the team as not having power. And I think in the classic sense, people hear power and they think home runs. But they're also, this team hits a lot of singles right now. And that is somewhat reliant on luck to a point. I mean, you, you can hit a hard ground ball. You hit something, you know, 95 miles an hour plus. If you don't hit it right at a guy, it's probably getting through the infield. But then people look and see, and they've got Christopher Morrell, Nelson Velazquez, Matt Mervis, just destroying baseballs in AAA. And knowing that's the one gap left on this team, I think – it. I was looking through the numbers. Is Iowa's team particularly full of power at the moment? Yeah, I mean, between guys like the guys we talked about, Mervis and Velasquez and Morell, I mean, they're driving up the power pretty significantly. And I, I think that what you just mentioned now with the, the high contact and like the way that they're assembling the team goes perfectly hand in hand with what we were just talking about a few minutes ago. It's like that high floor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you When you're making a lot of contact then by default, like, you're going to have a high floor because good, quote-unquote, quote good things happen when you put the ball in play, right? Um, but you got to have a good mix, right? Like, you got to have that mix of guys that are putting the ball in play, the Nikos, the Dansby this year, like, to, to an extreme degree, which is, I mean, it's, it's a different Dansby than we've seen in past years, but yes. still really good. Um, the Nick Madrigals, um, Trey Mancini was a, is, is a guy that in the past has made, made a whole lot of contact, Eric Hosmer, like guys like that. But you, you got to pair those guys and choose the right ones, Nico and Dansby, <laughs> right. with the guys with more power, Matt Mervis, Christopher Morrell, and, and Nelson Velasquez. When you, when you combine that, that's when you have like a super, super successful, su- successful team. I think that baseball went in that direction where they were heavy power focused, like extra base hits are king. They are everything. Um, And then you saw the Cubs kind of make this train like very, like very clearly. Like I I think it was the Nick Madrigal trade really that, that Mm -hmm. really made me think, Oh, like the Cubs are going for this style where it's like the high contact, like raise the floor, all that good stuff. Um, But good teams are combining those. You incorporate two or three high contact guys with two or three big power guys. And then you have two or three of just like in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now the Cubs have a really high floor, but unfortunately they have a really, really, really low ceiling. 
Um, I'll I'll give credit to to Brendan Miller over the the CHGO podcast because he he has been beating the drum basically like since this offseason about this how like how you have to give these guys that have a higher variance right the Matt Mervises mm-hmm. and the Christopher Morales like you have to give them an opportunity because that might be the difference in a couple games right you mm-hmm. can still fall back on that floor but for this Cubs team. <laughs> That is not like they are going to be at the at its current form. They're going to be competing for a wild card, like one or two, three games. They matter drastically. Yes, you know. And so, if Matt Mervis can go and win you a game, okay, I'll take that. If Christopher Morrell, whether it's his power in terms of home run power or doubles or triples because he's fast too, or power in terms of arm strength and uh, electric fielding in the in, in the field too, like. If that can go win you a couple more games, that those three that's three games. That's the difference in in a wild card or out of the playoffs. You know. Yeah. Well, and when you look at it, I think they have um, both on the hitting side and the pitching side. So the the pitching side, I think the rotation's in pretty good shape right now. I think they're mostly pitching well. We'll see how Assad does tonight. But the bullpen, not a ton of swing and mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you look at that game that. You know, Fulmer took way too much crap from fans, I think, for the, the blown save. But it was a fairly weak ground ball that got through. But again, like, if you have more guys who can get swing and miss, then you don't have those ground balls. Like you said, you put the ball in play, good things happen. Well, if you're yeah. pitching balls in play, bad things can happen. Yeah, I think Michael Fulmer is a, Fulmer's a good pitcher. Like, I think he's, yeah. I think he's a good reliever. Um, but if... I think if he if he has to be relied on to be your ninth inning guy or your your close your 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 big out guy, I, I think that like I've I've enjoyed looking at it that way as opposed to ninth inning like it's when you're facing the heart of the order in the eighth whatever it might be, um, with runners on base especially that wasn't the case for Fulmer the other night but like if if you're inheriting runners and stuff like that getting Jeremiah Estrada in the game that he has when he's in the big league level arguably the best fastball in the big yes. leagues you know like I, I i wouldn't say he does have the best one but like I, i'd listen to an argument i wouldn't call you crazy if you said he has the best fastball um and getting that swing and miss from jeremiah estrada is huge and that, now i'm not saying jeremiah estrada can be called up and immediately thrust into those big outs um but i think it's important and i think the cubs have done a pretty job of that in years past for the most part in the bullpen i think that they've they've done some reclamation project with some veteran veteran relievers. Um, they've been able to call up some relievers too. Mm-hmm. And there's there's plenty of guys in the system right now that get that swing and miss stuff. The Cam Sanders of the world. Um, and even like if you're not if you're looking past one inning guys, there's 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 multi inning relievers that are not too far off too. Um, and that can be utilized at the big league level, kinda like what Steele was a few years ago or what Keegan's being used as now. Yeah. I loved watching Cam Sanders in spring training that that's, he's fun. He's fun. He's, he's a, fun. Not only is he is he like a good pitcher, but like he's an easy guy to root for because he just yes. he has that swagger, man. He has that swagger big time. Well, and, and like you said with Estrada, so he's again like Brendan Miller talks about. He's got that variance mm-hmm. because yeah. some days he's going to come in, he's going to be overmatched. The moment's going to be bigger than he is, and it might go sideways. But and again, trusting David Ross and trusting what like how he and I trust him a little bit less in his reliever decisions than I do in his lineup decisions, but like. <laughs> I, it's if if you put your faith in your manager, then he will handle that situation the right way, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's gonna be some clunkers every once in a while, but like, 
I don't know. You just got to put some faith in, in your manager to a certain degree. <laughs> so w- when I look at the roster, it's a 26-man roster. And I, I assume most of the year they're, they're going to be 13 and 13, 13 pitchers, 13 hitters. Mm-hmm. And if you figure, you know, barring injury, we got Gomes, Barnhart, Horner, Swanson, Wisdom, Hap, Bellinger, Suzuki, and probably Mancini are basically non-negotiable. They're yeah. going to be there, um, which really leaves four spots. So when you start looking at the minor league level, um, there are only, you know, you're maybe only talking four to six guys potentially in play as they rotate through those four spots. And then that's also assuming, you know, I've got Madrigal as a maybe. The more he hits, the more likely he is to stay. They seem to like him. Um, who knows with Rios, if he starts hitting the ball, crushing baseballs, he might stick. Um, but I think the big one that's getting the attention right now is that Hosmer Mervis. I mean, yeah. I put out a podcast yesterday and I talked a lot about, I dug into Hosmer's numbers and as bad as he's hitting, he's hitting lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, his contact is so weak. It's all on the ground. I couldn't believe when I saw he had a negative 4.7 average launch angle. I mean, I like, it's almost impossible. Like, you almost like can't even like try to do that. Uh, <laughs> nobody yeah. else on the team. I think I don't think is less than three. Yeah. Yeah. I, that that's, that's by, that's the clear cut. Like that's the clear cut, um, like change in roster that makes yeah. a big difference, right? Is 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 sliding Matt Mervis in, sliding Eric Cosmer out, and then and really when you're making moves like that too, it length it lengthens your roster. Um, like for example, if you're calling up Christopher Morel, honestly Nick Nick Madrigal is playing pro- probably an appropriate amount, maybe maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I think that you're not utilizing Nick Madrigal as a starter, obviously, and and that's not how he's yes. being being utilized mostly at this point. But like, if you're bringing up guys with higher variance, like Christopher Morrell, then you can have those safer guys, like the Miles Mastrobonis, on your bench, um, utilized in a true, um, like, like utility role. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe when you get those guys, when I think tomorrow the Cubs are going to face Urias for the Dodgers, high K guy. Maybe you do get Madrigal in there because you want to make sure you get some balls in play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Playing those matchups, it, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, but with Hosmer, I mean. Coming into the season, I know why they signed him. They hadn't signed Mancini yet, so I think that was still in question. It gave them some stability at first base. But once you had both, I kind of felt like Hosmer was going to get about six weeks. Mm-hmm. But now the way he's playing and the way Mervis is playing, boy, I hope that I hope that decision window tightens up. It just feels like early May is like is the move. Yeah. Um, I I I think that I think Brian brought it up on the. On our pod. I don't know if you brought it up in the podcast or if you brought it up in a tweet immediately. I think I think it was a tweet immediately following our podcast. Like we recorded the podcast <laughs> and then we were talking about when when Matt Mervis might get called up and we like didn't have the schedule in front of us and then we like stopped recording and I checked Twitter and Brian had tweeted about when he expected <laughs> expected Mervis to get called up. Um, and I think it's like that first week in May um, that we that the Cubs play in DC against the Nationals. Okay. And Mervis being from around the area, like it just that feels right. Uh, Cubs like calling up guys on the road so that they're not they're not coming to Wrigley Field for their first first home game and it's like Wrigley in addition to everything mm-hmm. that 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 goes with making your MLB debut so like it just I don't know man it feels like it feels like Mervis debuting in Washington makes a lot of sense and I think that that timeline matches up pretty well um, yeah I like that I, I I'm I'm rolling with that prediction too excellent yeah I hope I hope to see it because that's also so Mervis is a good case too because. You also have the 40-man roster complication. 
Yeah. You know, Morel can bounce up and down. That's fine. He could swap places with Madrigal and switch back in another two weeks. But, and I think this is part of You guys talked about this too, I think, where there are kind of stages in the season. Like, you don't want to overreact. Like, if, like, even right now, Trey Mancini is probably pushing 50 plate appearances. I don't have the number in front of me. He's been awful, but he's done enough in the past that I think we're still in small sample size. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel that way with Hosmer. This is kind of how he fizzled at the end of last year. This is kind of why the Padres let him go. Yeah. Um, and Mancini does have that power profile that he can bring back if he gets that back going. And so when you look at this, it does seem 40, 50 games seems to be a point where you might kind of reassess and make decisions. Although hopefully they, the Hosmer thing pushes faster. But if you're going to bring someone like Mervis up, you're making a decision on someone else and you're, while they may clear waivers and you might pull them back into the minor leagues, you're effectively deciding, okay, we're done with this guy. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. Cubs have shown they'll do that. So I'm not worried about that long term. The question is how long do they, you know, it didn't matter last year when they rolled for too long with Jonathan VR or some of those other guys. Um, yeah. But now it does matter. It does. And, and I, I, I worry a little bit about like the there there is value in like clubhouse presence and all that good stuff and I know that David Ross values that to an extreme amount so I'm a little worried about like that might delay the inevitable with Eric Hosmer, mm-hmm. um, but like from a ro- again again from a roster construction standpoint let's look at a, at a lineup right where right now um, you've got a top of the order of Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson and Ian Happ um, and then if you have Cody Bellinger in there right after them who's been very very good. Those guys are getting on base, um, and the, the guys, the top two in the order, they're getting on base, and basically by way of singles, right? Uh, you put Matt Mervis in the five hole or in the six hole, even in the six hole, right? Like if you're if you're surrounded in a, in a lineup with guys that are getting on first base, um, and then they're walking, like Ian Happ walks a ton, you know, and so like if you're if you're surrounding yourself with with those guys. Matt Mervis just pops one double every once in a while and you're looking pretty solid. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's that that's where the power that we're talking about power. That's where that comes into play is when you're surrounding by guys that are getting on by singles. And then all of a sudden you can drive a guy in from first base with Matt Mervis, even if it's not a home run, it doesn't need to be a home run. It can be a double. It can be a ball put in the gap. That makes a big, big difference in lineup construction. Right. And, and right now you, you don't see that variance in the lineup construction. Yeah, and, and I think there's also, like, I, no, I really noticed it when Saya came back. Like, that, even just putting Saya back in the lineup makes yeah. that lineup so much deeper. Yeah. And in terms of guys that a pitcher has to worry about, even though Mervis will be a rookie when he first comes up, and I don't know how much the other teams will know about him. I mean, everybody's got scouting reports, but he's a guy you have to worry about. Eric Hosmer, if you make a mistake pitch, maybe he hits a gap double. Mm-hmm. That's about the worst he's going to do. Yeah. Um, Although I did, I did love, I, I posted that podcast yesterday where I kind of ripped him and then he hit a home run right after I published. But yeah, the more they can deepen that lineup with the, again, with the variance guys, Mervis might, might be a strikeout machine when he comes up for a while. Yeah. Cause big league pitching is hard, but yeah, we talked about that on the show on, on Cubs on deck too, right? Brian and I talked about how, how it's going to be different for Mervis, right? When he gets called mm-hmm. up, because right now, like he he is the best hitter in AAA. I mean, like he, he's he's not stat wise. There's guys, but but like he is he is one of the most feared hitters in AAA. And pitchers are just pitching around him. I, I know that Arm Layton, who is, does really good work for the Call Up Pod, he's over at Just Baseball. Like he had the he had the numbers that that I do not have 
um, regarding the the number of pitches that, that Matt Mervis is seeing in the zone versus out of the zone, the amount he's swinging, all that good stuff. And uh, like it, it's just it's it's pitchers are avoiding him at all costs. And I would be too if I was a Triple A pitcher. Yeah. You know, uh, big league pitchers won't do that. Like they're, they're going to attack him. Um, he'll have some success early on, I'm sure. Um, Brian pointed out that like it's it's that next wave. It's once the pitch, yes. pitchers do figure him up, figure him out at the big league level, then how how does Matt Mervis adjust? And he's been able to adjust at every level he goes to. Like, he, he's he had to experience that a lot last year, where he bounced to three different levels. So like he's able to to succeed, come back down to earth, and then succeed again after he figures out what pitchers are trying to do to get him out. I don't know, man. I, I think that like it's he he will see the strikeout rate increase. He sure. will see the walk rate significantly. I, I think the walk. I think you'll see a bigger effect or a, a bigger impact on his on his walk rate lowering yes. than his strikeout. I, I think his strikeout rate will increase, um, but I think his walk rate is going to go way way down, especially for the first few, for the first few like couple months or so that he's in the big leagues. That and that's not so. a bad thing necessarily. No, it's just it's, it's going to happen. Pitchers are going to go after him as opposed to pitching around him. Yeah, you, there's no way you're going to pitch around him to go face Patrick wisdom or yeah. whoever is going to be behind him or yeah, exactly. Um, well, and that's a big difference with when I look at Matt Mervis, I don't know at this point, now that he's shown, he came back and started this season exactly like he ended the last season. I don't know what he's getting, what's making him better right now. Cause to your point, he's not getting challenged. He's not, he doesn't, the triple a pitchers don't have a hole in the swing that they can go exploit. That will happen at some point in the bigs. Yeah, yeah. It, development continues to the big league level, and like, it's time. <laughs> it, it's time. You know, like I, I think that like we talk about that way more with pitchers. How yes. how development just always continues, um, and it's way more apparent there. But it it always continues for hitters too. Like I, I think that it, that came up a whole lot more in the conversations about Morel last year. Um, but at some point you're done with the adjustments, you're done with the development at a certain level. And I, I think Mervis is at that level with triple um, I, I think it, at this point, he's not learning enough about triple A pitchers to overcompensate for the, the message that he's being sensed by being kept down in triple A and how, what, how that impacts his development. You know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I you got to balance that. And I don't think he's learning much from, from facing triple A pitchers anymore. Yeah. Well, on the flip side, you led me to my next guy as morale. We saw him come up last year and I don't know what the actual plan was, but I assume when they called morale up, they thought, Hey, this guy's going to come up. We'll get him a little exposure. He'll spend a couple weeks here and he'll go back to triple A because he was killing it in double A. I think he had ended, didn't he end 2021 in triple A, but Got like eight games in or something at the end yeah, of the year. Yeah. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, he gets on base in what twenty three straight games to start his career, and it, with the energy and the fact that people actually wanted to buy a ticket to come watch him play, um, he just stuck when probably he shouldn't have because mm-hmm. we did see. I mean, by the end of the season, he was striking out close to forty percent of the time, mm-hmm. and so when they, it made sense to me to go ahead if they see him as a potential star and i think i think most of us do um i'll get your opinion on in a second but if you think he's going to be a 10-year major leaguer cutting that k rate is probably essential yeah yeah i think it is 
cutting the K rate to I, I don't think he needs to cut it to, down to even like twenty five percent. So I, I don't think that's yeah. even necessary. I, I just think that he needs to keep it around the thirty percent threshold. Yeah, with his um, power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and it's everything else he brings to the brings to the table. I mean, as far as like the star comment, I I, I think I I, I might have talked with you about this on on your show. I've, I've talked about it with people before, but um, with Morel, like, do you consider Chris Taylor to be a star? <laughs> right, no. like, like that's 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 what I want. That is desperately what I want from Christopher Morel. And I know that I know that people want more from him. And I know that like I've I've maintained that like that assessment. If we can get Chris Taylor out of Christopher Morel, then it's a success. Absolutely. And um, it may not be a star. And I think that like with the super high exit velos and the the cannon strapped to his right arm. <laughs> And the speed that he displays, and the 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 way that he goes about playing the game of baseball, I think you want to like put a star label on him. And I think I think that because he does all those things that way, he can perform at Chris Taylor's level and still be considered more of a star than Chris Taylor is because of all the things he does that like just yes. catch your eye. You know, like he could put up identical numbers. Like I, I don't I don't I I don't have Chris Taylor's like strikeout and walk numbers in front of me, but like. He could put up identical numbers across the board as Chris Taylor, and Christopher Morrell would be more of a star than Chris Taylor because of everything else that he brings yes. to the table, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I just I maintain that. I, I just I stick with if he can be Chris Taylor, I'm very happy. If he can be less than Chris Taylor, I probably still will be happy because Chris Taylor is a damn good yes, major league baseball player. Well, I think it's very easy to watch. You know, we anybody who follows the prospects, um, and some people don't, which is fine. But if you follow them up, you see them, you know, if a guy's going to be a major leaguer, he's probably a star in A-ball. He's mm. probably a star in double-A. He's probably a really good player at triple-A. It is really, really freaking hard to be a good major league player and stick for years. Yeah. Um, so the idea that some guy seems disappointing is a little bit, it's frustrating for me sometimes because sometimes I can see, well, this guy is a very good, solid Patrick Wisdom. I mean, he's red hot right now. But he got a lot of criticism last year, but he is legitimately a major league hitter. Mm-hmm. And pick your spots. I thought coming into the season, maybe more like a platoon against lefties and certain righties. But he's clearly made some improvements, so maybe he's a little bit above that now. And again, it's, it's back to what you were saying in the beginning, right? Where there are players that are stars. There are players that are regulars. There are players that are bench guys, and they all bring value to your team. There's guys that get traded away before they hit it big or before they fizzle out. Um, and they bring value to your organization in a variety of different ways. And just because a guy is in high A and not a star at high A does not mean you stop like you stop worrying about their development, right? If you can still like develop them into a depth piece, like if it's if it's a pitcher that you think like ah this guy might not be anything, well, it's like if you can if you can fix him up and continue to get him to improve to the point where he is just triple a depth for the major league team that brings value to your organization right mm-hmm. like that that's we, we talk i feel like we talk about that every year going into opening day it's like oh what does the rotation depth look like just in case 12 guys get injured you know like it's right you, you go to these like ran like just all like off the wall type of like scenarios that probably won't play out but like you always talk about rotation depth and how necessary that is well it's like pitcher like those those rotation depth like that rotation depth a lot of times that comes from a guy that is not all that impressive at, at, at high A. Like, not, not flashing the radar gun, not, uh, not making you say, wow, when you watch him pitch. It's like he just kind of chugs along and continues on with his development. Next thing you know, 
He's a he's a middle of the rotation starter in Iowa that has value. Like it or not. Javier Assad. Exactly. Exactly. Javier Assad's a perfect example of that. Well, I can make a good argument too, going back to the 2015-2016 Cubs teams, for all the star power for KB and Rizzo and Baez and John Lester and peak Kyle Hendricks and all that. They probably don't win the World Series without Chris Coughlin and Tommy LaStella and Travis Wood. Like you just need mm. those guys to advance the order and be on base when the big sluggers hit their thing or get the game to the top end relievers in the pen or exactly. get through that four or five starter hole. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, Tommy LaStella wasn't even on the World Series roster, right? He got pushed off the roster for Kyle Schwarber. I believe that's true, yeah. And it's like think about that. Like 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 Tommy LaStella like very polarizing guy for for the the role that he's been on several teams, which is kind of funny. But like, <laughs> think about Tommy Lestella and like, he he again like Patrick Wisdom, he's a legitimate big league player, right? He he's had some down downturns and and what he does at the plate, but like, it's hard to argue with like what he what he ended up doing in his big league career, and he didn't even make the 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 World Series roster. It's like that that is depth. That is yes. depth right there. That's a yeah for sure. And so I guess move to the pitching side a little bit. So I think the, I think the rotation is pretty locked in. We've got the, you know, you should have eight, eight to 10 starters. I think the Cubs actually have that. Um, I haven't followed. How has Adrian Sampson been pitching in AAA? I know he struggled early. Yeah. Not great. Not, not, not great from Adrian Sampson. Um, yeah. He, he was the opening day starter for Iowa. Um, and which makes sense. Um, I, I think that, that it was, it was good to see him um, kind of stick around the organization again for depth. Uh, but really, Caleb Killian has been the guy that's kind of turned it on the, the past couple past couple outings. But uh, the the rotation at Iowa, while I think that like there's guys in that rotation that could give a spot start in Chicago throughout the season, um, none of them are guys that you want as like consistent number five starters at this point um, in Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think we'll see Killian up this year? Yeah, I think so. I think I think given. Given the fact that he's already been to Chicago, given the fact that he's a little bit older for a prospect, um, already on the 40-man roster, obviously, I think that there's a lot of different things that get thrown into the equation that, like, yeah, I think we've seen back in Chicago. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see a scenario where he is a, like a long-term starter in Chicago. It would be for a few starts here and there. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm probably, the, like, I'm one of the lowest people on as far as like prospect followers, I'm one of the lowest people on Caleb Killian, I'd say. So, um, yeah. So I guess my next question is kind of with the rise of Hayden Wisniewski at the end of last year, in some sense it hurts Caleb Killian, but I, Killian was the guy that everybody was so excited to see last year. Like, when's he going to come up? When's he going to start? And he made that good start against St. Louis. And then like his whole world just fell apart, lost all of his command and struggled even going back down to Iowa. I kind of wonder if, Hayden Wesneski maybe took some of the pressure off Killian. Um, puts pressure on because now Hayden just kind of took his spot, but he's it, not getting all the attention anymore. It definitely breeds competition, right? Like, like it's like these guys are these guys are like addicts to competition, right? Like, yes. like they they have they have to be compete and and not that like Killian didn't have other people to be competing against in the past couple of years, um, but. Now it's definitely there because not only is, is Hayden Wesneski up in, up in the, the rotation in Chicago, um, but you have another guy in Riley Thompson that's really starting to show out in, in AAA. And then you have a stacked 
rotation in, in right behind Caleb Killian in double A, right? Yes. You got the, the Jordan Wicks and Ben Browns and Ryan Jensen's and um, Daniel Palencia's. Like those guys are right behind them. And so like it's it kind of creates a sense of urgency um, in addition to like uh, in terms of like timeline, but like pressure to succeed. And I, I think that can only be a good thing, right? I, I think that can only be a good thing. And I, I don't know how Caleb Killian ticks um, in between his ears, but I'd imagine that that's probably a really good thing for, for making him push forward and, and be the best version of himself. Yeah. Well, that was one thing when I talked to David De Silva, one of the Cubs mental skills coaches about the, one of the things they have to constantly work with these guys in is you're in a ball. Everybody, everybody thinks they're a major leaguer, but to get there, you're fighting like your best buddy that you'd love to hang out and, and hang out with after games might be your top competition to move to double A. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's that it goes back to the the Max Bain thing where like you're just competing against everybody. Yeah. You're competing. I mean, you have 180 guys in your in your organization, but every organization has that, and you're competing within your organization to make it to your major league team, and also your your buddies that you're playing with now, or your your buddies that you played with in college against that that are now facing off against you in Double A, um, to play for their team. Maybe you know it, it's yeah. That's a I I don't envy that job of of the coaching staffs that are that are required that are, that are like working with these players to kind of get that through to them, you know. Yeah. And so I was looking at the uh let's move on to the pitching. So looking at the stats on Northside Bound, I, I love this that you've got you guys have this updating every day now. Yeah. Um looking at so thinking about power, you want those power arms, you want that swing and miss. And when I look the three arms that really pop off are um, Anthony K, surprisingly, he seems to be off to a really good start. And then, um, obviously, Estrada and Cam Sanders, we've already talked about a little bit. And then maybe even Vinny Natoli to a, to a smaller extent. Um, I assume that at some point the Iowa-Chicago shuttle is going to get going. We'll probably start seeing some of those guys. Estrada's already on the 40-man, so that's easy. Um, I think, didn't he, he made the West Coast trip with them, didn't yeah, I believe so. I heard he I at least started out there. Yeah, oh, he was on the taxi squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think those guys, especially the way, well, we'll see how Ross runs the bullpen, but you can get them looks in the sixth or seventh inning of a tight game and start to see how it goes. Like, that's what he did with um, Thompson and Steele. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then as they show they can handle it, you know, um, Brandon Hughes last year is a good example. Like, he came in and let's just get you some innings and then do more and more. And all of a sudden he's like the best guy in the pen. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would be fun to get some of that swing and mess up in Chicago. I, I don't know if you, if you said his name, uh, Nick birdie though, is a guy that I would love to see in Chicago. Nick birdie has been very, very good uh, for AAA in terms of like generating a lot, lots of swings and misses. The stuff is nasty. Everything in terms of like the ERA and like, Anything related to that is not. I'm. I'm not paying attention to. Like Nick Birdie has an eight eight point one ERA right now. Yeah. Well, he's probably um, throwing but, what four innings. So yeah, exactly. All all these guys are like. You got to be careful about ERA for bullpen guys, regardless. Yes. Uh, but especially three weeks into the season. <laughs> um, but just the stuff looks really really good. Like that. That's true swing and miss stuff. His his fastball, his slider. Um, for Nick Birdie, it's always been about just staying healthy, which he has not been able to stay healthy. He's 30 years old now um, and just hasn't been able to stay healthy throughout his entire career. So the fact that he's showing this swing and miss stuff like 101 mile an hour fastballs 
in the AAA bullpen. Like, that's a guy that I expect to see in Chicago this year. Vinny, Vinny Natoli is a guy that's getting a lot of swings and misses, a lot of called, called strikes. That's another guy that is like, he does something weird, right? Like, the, he, he throws the ball weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you listen to, to me on, on Cubs on Deck, like, I heavily emphasize that I dig guys that do weird stuff. Uh, I think that like just giving hitters a different look is so, so important. Um, Vinny Natoli does that. Um, Nick Birdie does that to a certain degree. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's uh, Ryan Barucki. Who's in, who's in another like kind of quad a guy is is a little bit wonky too. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just, I I think there's a lot of swing and miss type guys. I'm I'm looking at, I'm kind of sorting on North side bound by the the CSW percent which is which is the, the called and swinging strikes um, combined and there's a lot of Iowa guys up there at the top of the list right mm-hmm. Natoli's up there Birdie's up there uh, Barucki's up there um, so you're seeing guys that are are generating that swing and that's not even to mention Cam Sanders so a little bit further down that that list but um, we know has swing him as stuff yes. so it's there it's there it's there ready to come up to the, to the big leagues whenever it's needed well, and then when you look, like we walk through the offense, we can walk through the pitching staff. I think the rotation's in pretty good shape. I think in the bullpen, I think Michael Fulmer, Boxberger, Alzale, Thompson, Hughes, and, you know, I tweeted, I tweeted earlier this week that I was just wrong on Mark Leiter Jr. I mean, the end of last season, he was getting it done in the bullpen, but I don't know, he's 30-whatever he's years old. Um, not a great track record, and he's doing okay, but, like, I, I see – I would rather see Estrada or Cam Sanders or Manny Rodriguez. Like, but the more I see, like he's just getting it done. And yeah. the Cubs have been really good about, to your point, when you were talking about Nick Birdie, those guys who are 25 or not, not 25, 26, they're 30, 31, 32, but they have gas in the tank. They've done a really mm-hmm. good job with those guys. Yeah. I'm actually willing to be way more patient on bullpen arms than like, I, I talked about like, Matt Mervis, it's time. Like Christopher yes. Morell, it's probably time. You know, like but bullpen guys, I'm I'm actually. It, it, it depends a little bit because there's there's we don't really know about some opt outs in contracts. Um, That's true. Written in, written into contracts for guys that are in AAA. Some of those like minor league, major league vets that are on minor league deals. A lot of guys have opt outs on May first. Um, some guys have opt outs on June first. Honestly, I don't know when some of those are for some of these players. I imagine that that a guy like like Anthony Kay or a guy like Tyler Duffy, like they, I'm, I'm sure they have those. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that based on, I'm not reporting anything. I just, I'm, I'm, I can't imagine they don't have those. And so uh, that throws a wrench into it a little bit, but as long as there's not a ton of dudes that have the, that opt out, I'm very content with just like right now until you absolutely need a guy or if there's an injury up at the big league level, right? Yep. Um, if someone's looking really bad or someone gets injured, then you call up Nick Birdie. If some, something else happens to, to Boxberger or, or Lighter or something, then you call up Natoli. Then you call up Estrada. Then, like, there, there's guys, you bring them up when necessary. Like, that's, that's where the, the, the depth of the system really shows itself is the bullpen. When you can keep calling up a guy and like your fifth guy out of the bullpen in Chicago after there's already been four injuries is still <laughs> successful. Like, that's, that, and I think, I think that is actually the, well, I think Cubs development has done the single best job of doing over the past five years or so, four, four, uh, four years or so, um, is that, is, is the bullpen. I, yeah. I, I really can't say a single negative thing about what they've done as far as bullpen depth, bullpen 
um, successes, veteran guys, young guys, all that good stuff. And and we forget like Ben Leeper is another guy that should have been here in AAA, right? Ben Leeper yes. went down with an injury, another arm injury, and that is super super unfortunate. But like he's another guy that would have been knocking like he in the in the Jeremiah Estrada category of like electric fastball, really good slider, and is like ready for Chicago yesterday. <laughs> What's his outlook on that injury? I saw that it happened. That yeah, I, I, I think that he's out for the. I think he's out for the year this year. Um, and then we'll have to have to see from there. I've 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 heard some things, but I don't want to report some stuff because I, I think that it's well. We'll just have to see with them. But it's, 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 so I, hard. It, it's not great. <clears throat> yeah. My oldest was a pitcher, and, and we were lucky to find a pitcher here who had been. I think he got as high as Double A with the Nationals, and he, um, good pitching coach and all, but he's like twenty five, and he just he had another arm injury and decided, you know what, I just have to go start my life and yeah. Go. It sucks, man, and uh-huh. and especially with a guy like like you look at Leaper, who is like so so close to the big leagues. Like he yeah. he he probably he should have been he should have been up in Chicago in twenty twenty one. That that should have happened. And then he had a, a a weird season last year where the the overall numbers didn't match like what was going on under the hood. Um, and so like if you look at that, like he had a chance last year, and then you know he was going to make an appearance in Chicago this year, and it's like crap. <laughs> like <laughs> I just, I hate that, and I I hate that for these guys. Yeah. Well, and. So on the reliever side, if we play that roster game, I think really the only couple spots really in play right now, but there'll be injuries and guys will get tired and they'll, you know, have a big run and use the bullpen a lot. Guys will get shift back and forth, but like Rucker and Merriweather are probably the big questions. I've, I've clearly not been as high on Rucker as the Cubs have been, um, but he's, he is pitching better lately. And then I think Merriweather is just a guy they want to probably use that, what, 30, 40 games and find out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of dig Rucker. <laughs> I, this <laughs> He's is, growing this is, on me. I know this is the Cubs, the Cubs PS Plus podcast, and and look at some stats and stuff like that. But like, I, 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 I don't have. I'm not using stats to back this up. I don't have his numbers up. I just kind of dig Mike Rucker, man. I, I don't know. I, I think that like, I, I dig him in the bullpen. But uh, Merriweather, I'd be okay with with exchanging a, an Estrada for Merriweather or a. Yeah. Anthony K for Merriweather give give some but the, the thing is I was actually going to say like bring up like Anthony K as a lefty to give Brandon Hughes some help but like we've seen Mark Leiter Jr. is that yeah. lefty killer right like that splitter kills lefties and it's terrific he so, made like, Freddie Freeman look silly last week. yeah yeah exactly like, ha- like having Mark Leiter is basically like having another, another lefty in your bullpen which is terrific and he's been so good he's been very very good um but yeah I, I think that like that you mentioned like Merriweather and Rucker are your two examples, and 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 Rucker has op has options, I believe. I think he um, does. Yeah. Merriweather does. He not. does not. Yeah. So you'd have to move on from Merriweather, um, but you have the convenience of being able to do that, right? Like you can mm-hmm. move on from Merriweather, and like we said, there's all these guys in Iowa that are, are are ready to to come up to the big leagues, and you still have that depth. Um, and even like going further down than Iowa, like you got guys like Bailey Horn, who has been like he. He's a legitimate relief pitcher prospect, mm-hmm. um, and then like the Ryan Jensen's and Ben Browns, like those those two guys are on the forty man roster, are guys that could be uh, a couple inning relievers in the big leagues later this year. So yeah, there, there's there's relief depth, um, a plenty. On the offensive side, looking past Iowa, is there anybody you see at the AA level who might potentially make a splash later this year? Besides PCA. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the obvious. Yeah, I mean, although with uh, Bellinger there, I don't know that they would call him up. I think. No, I, I think that I. I think we'll see PCA this year. I think we will. Um, 
Now, how or why or when? That's I don't I don't, I don't know the answer yeah. to that. But I, I think that PC is going to be too too good in the minor leagues to not call him up. I think PC is your starting center fielder in Chicago come 2024 opening day. Yes. And so Agreed. because of that, I think you'd do your best to get him, get him acclimated in some degree to Chicago this year. So um, that's something to consider. If Bellinger has an injury. Maybe he's the, the one up. Yeah. Or, or if Bellinger flips and, and goes back to a couple of years past Bellinger or something or something, or, or if we see the the Cubs start to really struggle and they trade Bellinger at the deadline, there's yeah. there's a lot that can happen between now and like when it's actually time. Like now is not time to call up PCA. It's like it's later. There, there's not going to be like a Christopher Morel situation where you're calling up a guy early in the year from Double A. I, I can't imagine. Um, I guess I got two guys. One one is Chase Strumpf, who is not on the forty man roster, um, and it, it feels like Jake Slaughter is kind of past Chase Strumpf a little bit in the the depth chart in terms of like second baseman, third baseman, like that mm-hmm. position group. But I I think that like this is a big year for Chase Strumpf in terms of like I, I'm expecting big things from him, but like in terms of like his career path. Because I think that if he if he stays the entire year in Double A, I think that we probably see him in a different organization come next year potentially and so if he performs well we know we talk about like a volatile type player chase Mm -hmm. trump is that right like he he puts up like overall the 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 numbers overall are good right the the overall production like you look at his his bash on on north side bound he has good production if you look at his his overall like ops numbers they're good it's just He's has a low batting average and he strikes out a lot and he walks a lot and he, he's the true, three true, true outcome type guy. Yeah. Um, but that ha- that still has value. And so I, I think there's a, there's a potential that we see him later, um, especially because he plays both second and third, mm-hmm. which are, um, I know we got Nico at second base, obviously, but third base is not really like locked in, even with Patrick wisdom playing well, because he can see some time in the outfield and stuff like that. So, yep. Um, Chase Strumpf is, is a guy off the 40-man roster on the offensive side. Um, a guy on the 40-man roster, I just I want to bring up because I think, I don't know how likely it is we see him in Chicago this year, um, if at all, but he's on the 40-man roster. Miguel Amaya is performing really well early on. Um, and people and forget maybe, he's only 24. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like we probably wrote him off too soon because of the injury. And, and, and when you have Tommy John surgery and you have some injury problems, like I, I get writing him off, like, it makes sense. It's that's that's fine, um, but when he came back last year and looked pretty smooth at the plate, mm-hmm. right? Like he looked a lot better than he's looked in past years. Uh, this year he's looked really good at the plate. Um, still good behind the plate now. I I don't know. I, I don't think it's out of question. We see him in Chicago this year. I, I wouldn't. I'd be. How do I phrase it? I, I'd be surprised at this point. I'd be surprised if we saw him in Chicago. But like if he keeps doing this, and we know like right now the Cubs loves using three catchers. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of like how Wilson Contreras was called up in 2016. Yeah. Right. He was called up, if I remember right, in June. I think that's um, right. And, and he was up and down for a while. Like they'd use him for a couple series. And yeah. And and that was they kind of eased him. I, I think catcher is the position where you can really ease somebody into the, into mm-hmm. the process. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, maybe Miguel Amaya gets that treatment, right? Where he gets called up midseason and is the third catcher with Luis, Luis Torrens gone. And you got Jan Gomes and, and Tucker Barnhart, who are very re- veteran guys. And Miguel Amaya being around those guys, you can do a whole lot worse than that, right? Like, yes. getting that experience is good. So sure. I'll, I'll throw his name out there. Cool. 
we're getting towards the back end. I don't want to dive in too deep, but I do want to talk about um, with the new stats you've got going at Northside Bound that refresh every day. You also developed a new metric. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Bash. Yeah. What, what got that started in your head? So actually, I th- I think I think your show when I came on the first time was the first time I like dropped a hint that that was coming, didn't I? Or did I, or did I just like talk to you off air? Or you did like tell that? me you were working on something. Didn't have any yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the first time I mentioned it at all. So uh, you for, you heard it here first, folks. Um, no, I uh, in in past year in, in recent seasons, um, it had become increasingly difficult to understand age in comparison to level and what that meant for players production and what their outlook on major league production looked like um, because we lost that short season affiliate and so the low the low a level especially became really really difficult to understand because and still today right still right now you got guys like Kate Horton who pitched in the big 12 facing off a guy against guys like Christian Hernandez who are 19 years old their mm-hmm. second season being in the United States Right. Very different types of players, yes. right? Um, and so it became very difficult to understand like what we were looking at. So uh, I kept looking at like WRC Plus, which WRC Plus is a terrific stat. Um, I've utilized that a lot. But what WRC Plus, Plus does not take into account are three different things. They don't, they don't look at uh, stolen bases. They don't look at like how you run the bases. It doesn't look at uh, ballpark factors, which is wild that it doesn't. It looks for league adjustments, which mm-hmm. is which is terrific. Which Bash does do that too, but it, WRC Plus does not look at uh, uh, ballpark factors. Um, and we know like Myrtle Beach is a pitcher's heaven. Competition they're playing against. So I wanted to create a stat, kind of an all-encompassing stat that looks a lot like WRC Plus, where 100 is is perfectly le- or perfectly average. Um, but incorporate those three things that WRC Plus does not take into account. So uh, the output is bash. Um, and in that, it's a little less crazy in terms of like a guy that performs super, super well on WRC Plus. Like they could have a WRC Plus of like 150 to 180, right? For yeah. over the course of an entire season. That's, that will not happen <laughs> with bash. Uh, anything like basically anything above like 130 is like elite level production. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd have to pull up last year's numbers, but like Matt, like Matt Mervis uh, was actually not, I don't think he was a leader in the clubhouse uh, with, with bash last year. I'd have to go back and look, but might've been Canario. I, I think, it, yeah, I think it was Canario. I think that the PCA was obviously up there too, because he spent quite a bit of time in, in Myrtle beach too. So mm-hmm. that, that helps. Um, but yeah, so basically the the point of bash is just to be able to kind of look at the entire system as a whole and see not only, Hey, how well did that guy perform this year? But what does that mean for his production and his like prospect status long term, right? So like a guy um, like last year, we saw Jake Slaughter was really really impressive last year, um, offensively. You look at his number, you look at his slash line, mm-hmm. his stolen bases, his home run total, like all that good stuff was really really impressive. Um, and so he was helped in bash over WRC plus because he had stolen bases, okay. so that helped him. But he was also hurt a little bit because he was he was pretty significantly older than league average, especially when he was at South Bend. Like he was 24, 25 years old, playing against guys where the average age was like closer to like 22, 23. Um, so that really affected his bash, um, and that went down a little bit. So versus guys that are like super young, like Christian Hernandez really benefits from um, from playing at low A right now. Like it shouldn't mm-hmm. hurt him that he's younger than average, right. uh, average age, you know. And in Bash, it really helps him that he's he's younger than average age. So, uh, yeah, 
long-winded answer of saying it's just kind of an all-encompassing number that you can kind of look at and kind of judge uh, and, and kind of critique and, and all that good stuff of prospects um, over the course well, of the season. And to your point, I think it's going to be really helpful because I know some of the things about the system. I, at least I, I knew Myrtle Beach. I mean, the, the way those wins come in, it's definitely a pitcher's park. But to be able to look and see, well, okay, I see the guys hitting 250 with a 720 OPS. That doesn't look as flashy as this other guy. But then you lose sight of the fact that, you know, it might be a 27-year-old playing double A. Yeah. And that's different than a 22-year-old playing triple A. Yeah. And um, I think, too, that that it it helps with the ballpark factors. Like you mentioned Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach plays in a really tough league for hitting. And mm-hmm. so, like, they were helped by looking at, like, WRC Plus and OPS Plus and stuff like that. Um, but then you take into, account, take into account that it's, like, not only is it the league, but it's the ballpark, too. Especially for that league, the ballpark is, is tough to hit in. So, like, Myrtle Beach players probably love looking at bash scores. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, do you factor K-rate into bash? No, I don't factor K rate and and walk rate. Um, okay. That's something that that I kind of want to in a in a future version of. I could um, see doing Bash. it, and I could see not doing it. So yeah, like so, like right now, like because <laughs> that would hurt um, Owen Casey. Yeah, right. Like Owen Casey right now is the is the leader in Bash in the system. He has a 162 Bash. I know I just said that 130 is elite, so that's how good that Owen yeah. Casey's been in a, in a very small sample size. Uh, but Owen Casey, the leader at 162, he is striking out an incredible amount, right? Like his... Unless he's 57%. 57% strikeout rate, <laughs> 6% walk rate. So like he's not doing either of these things like well. Um, he's going to have to cut that down. <laughs> yeah. And so like that in maybe in future versions of Bash where I do incorporate uh, strikeout, strikeout rate, walk rate is kind of taken into account because I do account for like walks. Um, yeah. I... I a lot like what Woba does, yeah. I kind of take into account like run values for getting on base. Um, so strikeout rate is not accounted for. Walk rate essentially is accounted for. And strikeouts matter and they don't. I mean, you're going to get your outs somewhere. Yeah. But at the same time, like Owen Casey's not going to get promoted to the bigs with a 57% K rate and double A. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this is great. Well, thanks for coming on. I would love to uh, catch up again later this season the end of the season let's let's do an episode on bash and see how it performed in its, its debut year i'd love to yeah i was gonna say this is the debut year of it so i was able to like run the numbers uh for the last season after the season obviously so we saw that uh but this is the first season where we're like seeing it all like happen live and like i'm a little nervous like i <laughs> I, I i trust in the stat like i i run the numbers a whole lot to, to get to this place but like I'm just curious to see how it progresses throughout the season, and as as especially as guys climb up the ladder, right? Like, because it, it it changes as a guy goes from high A gets yeah. promoted to double A. So like those numbers tweak um, as it gets even younger for the for his for his level and stuff like that. So oh, that, um, that's a question yeah. I I had actually. So whoever is going to be this year's Matt Mervis that's going to go and play three levels is as we look at Bash as the season goes. Is, is there going to be one cumulative score that factors in? what they did at A and what they did at AA and what they did at AAA. Yes, that's actually super easy to explain on that one. So yeah, a guy gets a bash um, score for each affiliate that he plays at, um, and then it gets altered based on the number of plate appearances that he took at each level, right? So if, if, um, say, say Owen Case, Owen Case is a bad example. Say Moises Ballesteros in low A um, ends up playing 80%, 80%, getting 80% of his plate appearances in low A, and then at, at the end of the season he gets called up and 20% of his plate appearances come in high A, well, that's that's 
adjusted to that okay. level, right? So like it's not just like a he gets fifty percent of his, his plate appearances at both levels. It's like it's adjusted based on how many plate appearances he got at each level. But when I see that number, I'm seeing that's their score for the year so far, regardless of where they've played and how many levels. Yeah. So on Northside Bound, what you'll see, uh, I'll see the back end levels for each affiliate, but what you'll see on Northside Bound is the like overall numbers throughout each level. Uh, except uh, uh, like a guy like Nelson Velasquez, you're not getting his major league numbers on this because, and the reason is because at at for at the major league level, this doesn't really pertain to that because it, it's it is there. You have nowhere else to go. I, I kind of keep hitting on like the the age and how important age is on this, and obviously age is important. Like younger guys are better. Like it's better if you're you're performing well at a younger age at the major league level. But like, there's nowhere else for you to go above that. So like, right. I, I don't I don't care if you're if you're 25 and performing really well at the major league level or 35 like just do it like for this season just do it you know what i mean yeah. so uh those numbers at the major league level are not taken into account i saw i saw a great thing some baseball writer i wish i could remember who did it but they were talking about kind of the quad a guys that you know you're almost a major leaguer you're not you're a starter and then you get like prime aaron judge shohei otani Pujols back in the day like these like 75 a like, yeah, <laughs> there's just yeah. you get to the bigs and the, there's no more gradation. It's it's I, I don't care how good you are. You got to go out in there and compete. Right. Like, I don't care if you're that quad a guy. I don't care if you're 30 year old Nick Birdie coming up to the big leagues for the first time in years. You were a minor league rule five draft pick. Guess what? You might get to face Joey Otani that day. You <laughs> might get to face Mike Trout. Like you got to compete. That That's a wild aspect of baseball. Yes. Speaking of Shohei, are the Cubs going to trade for him? No. <laughs> did you see I tweeted something about, to, about it today? I, I did I not, actually. At, I saw I, the report I was, out. Yeah, so I saw the report. It's like, oh, like, the Cubs might be interested, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, just for fun, let's see what, like, a trade package for, for Shohei Otani. And so, like, basically I went off of Juan Soto's trade package last year mm-hmm. and then scaled it way down because Soto still had, like, what, three and a half years? or Two, two and a half, uh, three and a half, something like that. Two and a half, half, three and a half, half uh, years of team control. So, like, it had to be scaled down because yes. Shohei is a true rental. Um, but also you got to scale it back up a little bit because Shohei is more valuable than what Juan Soto is. Sure. So, and so I, I, I think I started, uh, when I tweeted out was a package of, I think it was PCA, Wesneski, and Ballesteros. And that got so many comments on it, man. <laughs> I, like, I, I was just like, hmm, like, I don't think the Cubs are going to do it. But I was like, think about this, folks. Like, th- this is what, like, the Cubs would have to give up for Shohei Otani. At le- and I said at least, right? Like, it would it would, st- it would probably start with PCA, Wesneski, and Ballesteros. Um, you probably would have to throw in something like a, like a, a Brennan or, a, like, a Ben Brown or something like that mm-hmm. into it, too. And that got all quite, all kinds of comments on, on Twitter. I was like, just just some more satisfied customers, man. <laughs> I, I did an episode on that last, last year and mapped out some stuff, and it it doesn't hold up well because some of the players' values have changed. Like Morel was red hot when I did it, so I, like I made him the centerpiece of an Otani trade, and that just yeah. would not happen right now. <laughs> um, I made Justin Steele one, but at this point, like the Cubs are trying to compete, they would not include Justin Steele in the yeah. Shai Otani trade. Yeah, um, trades man, are sure. wild, man. Like, like it, the 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 process of like assembling these like trade packages before they actually happen feels almost impossible. Yeah, well, it, it's crazy too, but at the same time. We all like these prospects, and somebody can say, "Well, PCA is a untouchable for me, or Alcantara is an untouchable for me." But the reality is, the Cubs have Casey and PCA and Canario and Alcantara, maybe Brennan Davis. 
Like they've got five, six guys that could be legitimate major league outfielders. Mm -hmm. They are never all going to start together in Chicago. No. And it it cracks me up. And some of them are not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like some of them are not going to make it. And it it just like, it's, it's back to the 2016, 2015, 2017, whatever it was like, the Cubs have too many shortstops. Like, you know, it's like that thing. It works itself out. Yeah. It works itself out. And it cracks me up. Like when I put that on Twitter, like, there's two types of people. There's prospect huggers and there's prospects are worthless. Like there, there's yes. those two sides. Like there are no, there's no middle ground people. Danny Rocket like. is prospect pervs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, so like it cracks me. Like, so if you want to get a good, some fun out of it, go look at the replies to that tweet of mine and, and we'll you'll it. get some entertainment for a while. Well, great. Thanks for joining me today. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Mike. I'll always, anytime you, you want me on, I'll, I'll always join. Great. Hey, shout out where people can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Out of the Vines, um, and that's where I kind of post all my work. You can find, uh, like we were talking about, the stat uh, n- the stat sheets uh, over at northsidebound.com. Just go to northsidebound.com, um, I think backslash statistics, or you can just go to the main page of the website and click on the stats tab. I've got the uh, the hitting stats and the pitching stats separated out. You can go click on them. I'm still working on some some logistics about I want to be able to so people can kind of have a, a static top row and static side row so they can constantly see the players and the stat they're looking at. That's some back-end stuff I'm still working on. I'll get there. Uh, but if you want to see all the numbers, they're updated daily over at northsidebound.com, so you can always be up-to-date on all the, the prospect numbers in the system. You can find, uh, you can listen to me speaking over at Cubs on Deck podcast. That's anywhere where you listen to this podcast, I'm sure, um, on Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. You can see us on YouTube over at the Northside Bound YouTube account. Um, typically, you see me and Brian. We're about every other week I'm with Brian. And then um, about once a month, I'm with Greg Zumak, which is super fun. And then this mo- the, the next episode coming up here, I don't know when this, when this episode drops, but uh, we'll be with Sam Wiederhaft um, of the uh, Myrtle Beach Pelicans. He's the broadcaster there. So I get the, bro- the broadcasters on throughout the, throughout the summer, get their perspectives, and that'll be some good stuff. So... Uh, that's everywhere you, where you can find me. And I'll tell the listeners those uh, those broadcaster interviews. Those have been great. I've really enjoyed those. It's almost like they should they they should talk for a living, you know. Almost, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. It's good to see you. Good to have you back on the show. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining Greg and I today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts, or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page at CubsPSPlus.patreon.com to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the CubsPS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!